Start giving Moses a hard time in verse 3. Give us water that we may drink. I mean, it's not an absurd question. But Moses is saying, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? See, their question wasn't wrong. It wasn't what they were saying. It was how they were saying it. Having water is not a bad thing. Except when you're treating people wrongly because of what you want. So the thing is, it's their request isn't wrong. Their heart's wrong. The Israelites will be continuing their complaints in today's message, but their request may seem valid. They'll be asking for water, a basic need for survival. However, Pastor Daniel will point out that the problem isn't with what they're asking, it's in how they're asking. They're demanding their supposed rights from God rather than relying on what they already know about Him. God provides for His creation. You can trust His goodness. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Exodus chapter 17 as he begins his message, Life in the Wilderness. Now, remember, at this point, we are in the wilderness with the children of Israel. They've left Egypt with mighty signs and wonders. They've been delivered once again at the Red Sea or maybe more specifically, the Sea of Reeds. And we we were seeing last week at the end that God was miraculously feeding them with bread from heaven. It was called manna, which literally means, what is this? That's what, can you imagine you named your bread that? What is it? I don't know what it is. But that's pretty much what manna was. It meant, what is it? And it was just this, it was almost like a dew that they could make into cakes. And God provided for them every single day. That's where Jesus in, in the Our Father prayer, that model prayer, said, give us this day our daily bread. That's specifically the way God provided for the children of Israel in the wilderness. Every single day he gave them food to eat. And now, remember, on the sixth day, he said, take twice as much because I don't want you to work on the Sabbath day. I don't want you to work on the seventh day, so I'll give you twice as much. What was interesting about this provision of the Lord's is you couldn't save it to the next day or else it rotted. And we find out that for 40 years in the wilderness, God fed the children of Israel this way. And they had to trust God every single day. Now, you know, that's always a question for us because should we prepare for the future or should we just trust God every day? And I, and I made the case that it's wisdom to prepare for the future, but no matter how much or little we prepare, we need to learn how to trust God every day. So it's not sinful to prepare for the future. The only problem is that we trust in our preparations rather than trust in the living God. And I think that five years into a pretty bad economy, we're learning that God is still really faithful. And some of you have gone through very deep valleys over the last five years, but yet you're still here. And God has done tremendous things, not always the way maybe you would have wanted it to go, but tremendous things just the same. And oftentimes, when we are in tremendous need, that is when God shows himself strong on our behalf. When things are going well, we don't need God in the same way. It's when things are tough that God shows himself as faithful as he is. 
And in in the wilderness wanderings, we're going to see God again being faithful to the children of Israel. So let's pick up verse 1, Exodus chapter 17. If you're new to the Bible, the book of Exodus, it's just the second book. So when you open it up, you have Genesis, 50 chapters, and then you have the book of Exodus. So chapter 17, and if you don't know where 17 is, it's in between 16 and 18. Just to make sure. And if you still can't find us, ask your neighbor. They'll help you. Verse 1, Then all the congregation of the children of Israel set out on their journey from the wilderness of sin according to the commandment of the Lord and camped in Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people contended with Moses and said, Give us water that we may drink. So Moses said to them, Why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it that you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord saying, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, go on before the people and take with you some of the elders of Israel. Also take in your hand your rod with which you struck the river and go and behold, I will stand before you there on the rock in Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So he called the name of the place Massah or Meribah because the contention of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? Now, for us, we've, we're seeing this with the children of Israel, aren't we? God's miraculously delivered them with a mighty hand And right away they run into problems. And every time a problem comes up, they get upset. And God delivers them and yet they get upset. And God delivers them and they get upset. And it's so easy when you read it to think, I can't believe the children of Israel are like that until we take a moment of self-reflection and we realize that we're all like this. Right? God has done amazing things in our lives. But when a moment of struggle comes up, we pretend like nothing's ever happened. And even though God has been faithful to us in a myriad of ways through all different types of circumstances, and every single time God shows shows himself strong on our behalf, when the next one comes up, it's like we forgot all that. Like it never happened. And we lack faith. So we understand what the children of Israel are going through because honestly, we all do this every day. God provides and then we freak out. God provides and then we freak out. And so that's exactly what's happening here. Remember it was before they wanted meat and bread. They had it in plentiful in Egypt, and then God sent them quails and then this, this bread from heaven. Now in verse chapter 17, they're walking, right? There's no water to drink. And in that wilderness, you need water. If you're going to go hiking, you bring some water with you if you're thinking ahead. Even on a cold, kind of misty, rainy day in the Pacific Northwest, you still want water when you're hiking. But there's no water to drink. And what happens? The people start contending with Moses. They start giving Moses a hard time in verse 3. Give us water that we may drink. I mean, it's not an absurd question. But Moses is saying, why do you contend with me? Why do you tempt the Lord? See, their question wasn't wrong. It wasn't what they were saying. It was how they were saying it. Having water is not a bad thing, except when you're treating people wrongly because of what you want. So the thing is, it's their request isn't wrong. Their heart's wrong. And they're upset. And we have to be careful because at the heart of the law is what? It's the law of the heart, right? 
Sometimes we can ask for something that we really do need and we really should have, but we do it in a completely wrong way. And we're contentious with people and we're contentious with God. So it's interesting. The people thirsted for water. They complained against Moses. And once again, they're complaining that you brought us out here to kill us. And we all know that that wasn't what was going on here. But now they were exaggerating their need. You brought us out here to kill us, to do wrong by us. Now notice in verse 4, because this is one of Moses' most redeeming qualities we find in verse 4. And so Moses cried out to the Lord. It's one of Moses' most redeeming qualities. Because every time he was in trouble, he cried out to the Lord, almost every time. He took the issues of his life, and he went to the only person who had control over them, which was God. And it's a good lesson. I've heard it said that the distance between your problem and its solution is the distance between your knees and the floor. And you think about someone kneeling down, that is a classic posture for prayer. That is the distance between your problem and its solution is seeking God. I think oftentimes the reason problems persist is so that we learn how to seek God. Because when there's problems, we seek God with fervency. And when things seem fine, we don't have that same fervency, do we? When things are bad, we're like, you're calling everyone. You're putting your name on every prayer list. Just pray for me. Pray for me. You're putting on people's Facebook. Hey, pray for me. Pray for this. Pray for that. Because there's a need. And people get mobilized to pray. and we, we seek prayer. But then when everything's fine, then we kind of back off. And we're not as intense about prayer. But that's, we do that, and it's not necessarily wrong, but the problem is, is we're, instead of letting prayer be what guides our relationship, we just think of God as a vending machine. I have a problem, give me what I need. When really prayer is the word we use for the conversation we get to have with God. I'm loving watching God birth a movement of prayer here at Crossroads. We need to pray. We need even more than we realize to pray. Because when we pray, we get to link up hands with what God is up to. It's in prayer that he can tell us, this is what I'm wanting to do. I'm so blessed by our prayer team. Malala, who's one of the leaders of it, he's always emailing me, texting me, hey, we're praying. What, What do you need prayer for? What do you need prayer for? What do you need prayer for? I love that. Because there's people in our fellowship who are simply just seeking the Lord on our behalf. Moses had issues And he went to the Lord. He came and he cries out to the Lord. What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. He's like, look, they're going to kill me, Lord. And that's what the Lord says to them. Go before the people in verse 5 and take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the rod with which you struck the river and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock of Herb and you shall strike the rock that water will come out of it and that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders. Now, notice this. He wants Moses to take a rod, and he wants him to stand before the people and strike this rock, and water's going to come out of it. Now, I want to explain this to you, because this has some very rich symbolism for us. Now, what's interesting is you have a very similar account of Moses having water come from a rock, also in Numbers chapter 11. So if you like to take notes, cross-reference, Numbers chapter 11 is a, is a mirror to this. I'll explain to you why. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, the Apostle Paul says this, And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock 
that followed them. And that rock was Christ. So Paul is saying that this rock that was struck by wood that brought forth water, that that rock was a picture of Jesus. Now, how is it a picture of Jesus? Now think about it. The rod was made of what? Wood. Wood in the Bible is a picture or a type of what? The cross, right? So when you take the cross and you put Jesus on the cross, what comes forth? Water, the Holy Spirit. It's actually a perfect picture. When Jesus goes on the cross through his death and resurrection and his ascension into heaven, God's going to send forth the Holy Spirit. Jesus had been promising his disciples that. So it's a perfect picture. Now, know what's interesting? In Numbers chapter 11, in almost the same type of situation, they were thirsty. God said, Moses, I want you to go and speak to the rock and water will come forth. But Moses got mad. And Moses stood before the people and said, you rebels, started yelling at him. Shall I bring forth water from this rock? And he hit the rock twice. Water still came out, but Moses got in trouble. Moses got in so much trouble that God said, Moses, you can't enter the promised land. You can't lead the people into the promised land. Why was God so upset? Not only did, was Moses disobedient, and not only was he being arrogant, but he ruined the picture. Because if the wood hitting the rock, Jesus going to the cross, brings forth the Holy Spirit, the next time he didn't say, hit the rock with the wood, he said, just speak to the rock. Why? Because after Jesus has been crucified and resurrected from the dead, we don't need to see Jesus crucified again to get this Holy Spirit. We just need to ask. Jesus said, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father give the Holy Spirit to who? To those who ask him. Because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, all we need to do is ask. We are children. We don't need Jesus to be crucified again. We don't need to do some sort of religious, spiritual calisthenics, which other religions and a whole lot of types of Christians like to make you do. In order to be really right with God, you have to do this and that and this and that. And you got to grow out. you got to keep the law. And you got to cover your head when you pray. Everybody has all these things. Listen, no, no, no. Jesus finished the work. All we have to do is ask. That's the grace of God. That's the gospel. Now, don't get me wrong. We could like and enjoy certain ways people do things, but we always have to realize that the gospel is so valuable because you don't need to do anything else. The whole gospel says that we can't do it. And God did it for us. So if, whether you like to worship on Saturday or Sunday or whether you think this thing is important and this thing is important, all that's really important is the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. And the Apostle Paul got in a lot of trouble for that gospel. And there's all sorts of people who want to do the gospel. It's this. It's the gospel plus this thing. The gospel plus this thing. It's the gospel plus this hobby horse that I'm on. Or this very specific kind of strange doctrine that I pulled out from somewhere. And then you're like, just read Galatians. Just read the gospels. Jesus didn't say it's finished as long as you do X, Y, and Z. He said it's finished. Period. And I love that about the gospel. And we do all sorts of things, not to get saved, but because we're saved. We serve the world, not so that we can try and win God over. We're already won over because of the finished work of Jesus. And we serve the world because that's what Jesus did. And we just want to be like our Lord. So Moses, in Numbers 11, he ruined the picture. 
Because you don't need to see Jesus crucified again. We just need to ask. It's a beautiful picture. See, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit indwells those who believe because we believe in Jesus. That's what the gospel teaches. And I don't understand how it works. The Holy Spirit's in us, but then you read through the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit comes upon us, flows through people. I don't know how all that works. I just wake up every day and say, Lord, I just need you. And I want your Holy Spirit to do whatever he wants to do today. And if you want to heal somebody, cool. If you want me to speak in languages I've never heard about, I don't even know what I'm saying, that sounds cool too. If you want to give me a prophetic word, cool. If you want to let me do the ministry of service, cool. I'll do, I'm, I'm here, Lord, just use me. And that's my recommendation. Because people get worried about the things of the Spirit. You know, that's like, like, I mean, it's always terrifying if God shows up, right? I thought we talked about that on Sunday when we were raising our hands. People were like, man, that was kind of freaky, Pastor Daniel. Like, I'm like, I know God may have done something. You know, it's kind of scary. So I don't want you to be nervous about the Holy Spirit because he's God. But we need to say, Lord, whatever you got, I'm game. And even if it makes me a little uncomfortable, I mean, if God isn't making us a little bit uncomfortable, are we really growing? I mean, because he's God and we're not. And he's doing things that we're not quite ready for yet. That's because he's doing things. So we want to find ourselves to be open to, to the ebbs and flows, keeping in step of the Spirit. And I think the best way to do it is simply say, God, I'm game. I'm here. Whatever you feel like doing, in, through me, around me, sounds fun. And know what it does? If you avail yourself and ask God for his Holy Spirit to be God in your life, God will do crazy things. You won't understand why it happened, how it happened, and you'll be like, after saying, like, I don't know what's going on. But God will be using you. And that's a powerful thing. So I want to encourage you to be naive enough to read your Bibles and simply trust that God's Holy Spirit moves today as he's always moved. Because God never changes, Jesus never changes, and neither does the Spirit. They're always eternally have been and will be God. And we just want the Spirit to be the Spirit. And I'll be honest, my prayer for Crossroads and for all of God's people all over the globe is that there's a move of the Spirit always. That we are available, like, Lord, do what you got to do. I'm here. We're here. Whatever you got, we're game. And even if we don't understand it, that's fine. I've been around long enough to realize that I don't really understand much of anything most of the time. Right? And those of you who've been walking with the Lord a long time, you're like, I thought I really understood things, but I've realized that I really don't get what God's up to a lot of the time. But he's always working. And we walk by faith, not by sight. Notice in verse 7, because water came out of this rock in the midst of great contention, Moses called the name of this place Massah and Mirabah, which simply means tempted and contention. So even though God was, did a miraculous thing, Moses was still recollecting the reality that this was a tough go. Now, life in the wilderness, they were without water. Now look at what happens. Verse 8. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, verse 9, Choose us some men and go out. Fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone 
and put it under him and he sat down and Aaron and her supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner, which in some of your translations says Jehovah Nisi or Yahweh Nisi, which is the literal Hebrew of that word, the Lord is my banner. Verse 16, he said, because the Lord has sworn, the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So now notice, the children of Israel are just wandering in the wilderness and Amalek comes to fight with the children of Israel. So Moses has a plan. Verse 9, Moses said to Joshua, this is the first mention that we have of a man named Joshua in the Bible. Joshua, we know, will be the man who takes over from Moses, who brings the children of Israel across the River Jordan and into the Promised Land. He's got his own book by his name, which comes right after the first five books, the books of Moses, the Torah. So he tells Joshua, I want you to choose some men and go out, and you're going to fight with Amalek, and I'm going to go up to the top of the hill. Moses did as Joshua said in verse 10, and he fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Now imagine this. So Moses sends an army out. He's going up to the top of the hill. And he's got Aaron, his brother, and Hur. Hur is another man who we're going to see a lot of going forward. It's interesting that Hur, his grandsons were the builders of the temple. You're going to, we're going to find that his, his grandson, Bezalel, is going to be one of the artisans who builds the temple. So it's interesting that you have Moses, who's the receiver of the law. You have Aaron, who's of the priests and the Levites. And then you have her, who's part of the building of the temple, and Joshua, all together in fighting the enemies of the people of God. Now, it's interesting. As long as Moses had his hand raised with the rod in its hand, the children of Israel prevailed. Right as his hand started falling, the children of Israel were losing to the the Amalekites. Jesus is real. Pastor Daniel shared a miraculous event today. God provided water for the thirsty Israelites, not from a stream, but from a rock. His instructions to Moses were unique. God told him to hit the rock with his staff, bringing forth a stream of refreshment. God has provided the same through His Son. Christ died so that the Holy Spirit could be unleashed to refresh the weary and thirsty today. I want to thank you so much for listening to the Jesus is Real program. And I realize that there are many of you, you're not a born-again follower of Jesus. You've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. But as you've been listening, you've been saying to yourself, I want to begin to follow Jesus. I want to help you do that right now. We're going to pray a simple prayer that just acknowledges who Jesus is in your life. So if that's you, if you're saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, pray this prayer with me. Say, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. Thank you for saving me. I believe in you, your life, your death on the cross, and your resurrection. Forgive me of my sins. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen. For those of you who just 
receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. I'm so excited for you. I want to know that you did it, though, because I want to help you take your next steps with him. So pull out your mobile phone, text the word SAVED to 51400, S-A-V-E-D to 51400, and my team will get in touch with you. We want to get some more resources in your hands to help you on this journey. Now, my team, we want to share some stuff with you, so don't go anywhere. Thanks, Pastor Daniel. You know, the Bible says that when one person comes to Jesus, the angels in heaven rejoice. And we rejoice with them today if you just prayed that prayer with Pastor Daniel. Again, to receive some resources that are going to help you in this new journey with Jesus, take out your mobile phone right now and text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 51400. Join us again here on Jesus is Real Radio and Pastor Daniel discusses more of the events surrounding the journey of the Israelites. As they continued their track, they encountered an enemy, but that didn't stop God. Through some unconventional circumstances, God is going to bring victory for the people of Israel. Moses will be instrumental in this win, but he won't be alone. The community of God will be there to support him. We wish we had more time today, but we will have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Sinai. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.